Welcome to The Bounce, sports talk with spin distributed by your public studios. I'm your host, Jill Yesko. This is the podcast where sports becomes eclectic. We talk about everything from fascinating athletes you've never heard of to taking a deep dive into sports issues that don't always make the news. So whether you're an athlete, a fan, or just want to know more about sports, The Bounce has got you covered. Ah, the theme to the Olympics. It still gives me chills. When I was 17, I convinced my mother to let me take a bus from New York to Canada, all by myself, to watch the 1976 Olympics in Montreal. I was in the stands when the stadium erupted, when Bruce Jenner won the gold medal in the decathlon. But I also watched as the crowd cheered the last runners to complete the 10,000 meters long after the winner crossed the finish line. This, I thought, this is what the Olympics are all about. Over the years, I've lived in Olympic cities. I even competed in the Olympic trials and covered the Olympics for a newspaper. Flash forward four decades. The Beijing Olympics are a solar system away from my Montreal Olympiad in every way. Doping scandals, boycotts, payola, climate change, they've all radically changed the Olympics. Yet rarely do we have athletes who can talk honestly about their Olympic experience. My guest, Carrie Scheinberg, is such an Olympian. Carrie was named to the U.S. ski team at 17 years old and was a member of the team for eight years. She skied the slalom at the 1994 Olympics in Norway, where she was the top U.S. finisher in that event. Carrie has a lot of opinions, and today you're going to hear some of them. Carrie Scheinberg, welcome to The Bounce. How you doing? Good, Jill. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's my pleasure. It's always good to have somebody known as the angry and bitter Olympian on the show. <laughs> Carrie, what, who called you the angry and bitter Olympian <laughs> and, and why? And are you still the anger and, angry and bitter Olympian? I feel so exposed. Um, I perhaps I'm more angrier and more bitterer than ever before. <laughs> but um, that was a long time ago, actually, on a, a friend's radio show in Connecticut. I was working at ESPN just after my racing career was done, and I was being a sports journalist. So it's good, it's good to have opinions. I definitely think it's good <laughs> to have opinions. Um, you know, as you know, the title of this episode is I Hate the Olympics. <laughs> And we're recording it during the Olympics. Um, and I know that you, we have talked about this before, you know, we, when we were at a sports governance conference, there is so much, there is so much that is wrong with the Olympics uh, at this point. And I think that um, maybe right or wrong, uh, the current Olympics is really exposing all, all warts and all of what's wrong on every level, the Olympics. Um, how does it make you feel as a, as a former Olympian? How do you feel when you're watching the Olympics right now? Well, I mean, I, I guess ultimately it feels a little bit like the, the Olympics have been hijacked um, by a bunch of old white men in a room, you know, a, a very uh, fancy and well-appointed room, um, climate controlled even. But I think it's frustrating to see an event that I was so passionate about and so believed in and so many have been sold on the dream of uh, to 
be sort of have to have morphed into this, um, I don't know, almost shell of itself, a corporate sort of money grab that really has nothing to do with all the values they espouse. I think that's the biggest sort of betrayal of it all is that, and not to get too political, but I think a lot of people are feeling this way on a much larger scale about the United States and the constitution. And I think we're really, I mean, I can be inspired by the words of the Olympic credo at any moment, at any time. I think they're amazing. Were they intended, were they written with such pure, pure mind? in the first place? I don't know. I'm not sure, but I think a lot of us really wanted them to be. And I think what uh, everything has sort of devolved into is just pretty, pretty painful um, and empty. So can you be more specific? <laughs> like what, what really like gets your goat in, in watching, watching well, the games now? Sure. I think, look, I will always, and I think the games will always be incredibly meaningful for the athletes. And I will always cheer for the athletes. And I was, I will always love watching them because I know that the athletes have the purest hearts out there. Um, but what bugs me is the sort of path of destruction that these games now leave in their wake, uh, that they, uh, the sort of lack of care that they kind of approach every next site with, right? And all the sort of um, human rights violations or, or even their, their failure to even sort of hold the, um, the host country to the ideals that they are constantly touting and holding the athletes to, right? So why shouldn't these countries be uh, expected to behave as morally um, upstanding as they are demanding of these athletes. Well, I think one of the issues is that it has just been so incredibly expensive to host the Olympics. It's been really well documented that um, host cities, it, bringing the games to host cities is often a very, very little economic benefit. I'm thinking of 1976 in Montreal, which was the first Olympics that I attended as a fan. I was this like wide-eyed 17-year-old. It just seemed like the greatest thing in the world. I had no idea that Montreal was in debt for decades, decades after, after that. Um, and you see the same thing in uh, cities that host um, World Cup soccer, but it is sold as this panacea, this wonderful thing, this multiplier effect. Um, and now with the Olympics, you know, um, I believe that this is what the China is the only country to host winter and summer games <laughs> because no one else, no one else has the capacity to to do that. You see Olympics being voted down in um, places like uh, Denver did not want the Olympics. Uh, mm -hmm. didn't, uh, Boston, Boston didn't want them. Boston didn't want them. Yeah. I mean, are nobody the wanted them. I, I look, I think that um, I think the Olympics got particularly out of hand when 9-11 uh, happened. Um, and I think that sort of ushered in a whole new wave of of cost and spending. Um, but like you're saying, that obviously already was. Uh, part of the deal, you're talking about Montreal in 76. And and I'm glad you said that because I find myself wondering when I went in 94, was I 
was I just completely naive? Were people already feeling this cynical about the Olympics when I was there? Because for me, it was a total fairy tale. Are you kidding? Going to the Winter Olympics in Norway, a place probably one of the only places on the planet that cherishes winter sports as such a huge part of its culture and celebrates it. I mean, it was magical. And even they didn't want to host, you know, again. And Sweden didn't want to host again. They also said no. So I'm not, I, I do think it's gotten more expensive. I also think that um, we're seeing the same sort of uh, crazy gap between the people in the in the boardroom and, and the people on the front lines, right? In terms of um, income and cost and spending and all these things, right? Like these, these men, and they are mostly men running the IOC and the USOC, um, are still uh, operating under in a world of very um, expensive and demands and very sort of an expectations of incredible treatment and all these things. While I think on the ground and and it's gotten uh, much more dire and uh, people are really struggling more and more and they don't seem to me they've completely sort of. I don't know, lock, lock them, they've olded themselves into a corner. They And they just keep grabbing these X Games um, events, right? Like all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, what are the young folk doing now? We want to have skateboarding. Maybe we should have break dancing. I mean, none of this is, um, is sort of, in my mind, uh, pure and true to form. I think they have exposed themselves as literally just looking for anything that will keep the money coming in rather than a commitment to what to the event itself and what it always was purported to be. Yeah, let's go back and re revisit that a little bit because that's that's a really important point. Um, I understand that Greco-Roman wrestling, which <laughs> is really one of the right. foundational sports in the Olympics, is now, you know, being kicked to the curb in favor of, you know, something that's uh, like e-gaming or something like that. I mean, I hate to think that I'm like some kind of weird Olympic purist, but packing the Olympics uh, with sports, you know, that just, um, I don't know, that just make no sense in the <laughs> Olympic contest, context, rather, I find that particularly offensive and worse, kind of inflating the medals by uh, taking mm -hmm. a sport and then making it a team sport or... A mm -hmm. mixed a mixed sport, just so countries have the potential to win more medals, is uh, as I would agree with you, just sort of buying into the Olympics as being this like overstuffed pinata. <laughs> right, it has to, and it, it I think exposed them as sort of rather than committing to the product they already had, committing to the history, committing to uh, to making a better, to making the, that better. They instead just said, oh, well, wow, it looks, those seem to be um, very popular sports. Let's just bring that in. And instead they've sort of completely mixed and uh, sort of a mishmash of new and old and whatever gets us more viewers, whatever gets us more money is what's important. Not um, let's really make this good for the people that like what this is, you know, and let the X games be the X games and let all those other things. But I agree with you. These like, now we have mixed team this and mixed team that. And, 
And uh, I mean, who cares? I I don't, you know, I just don't. <laughs> well, I guess the ratings will bear will bear that out. But oh, my, the ratings are terrible. Aren't yeah, they? I was going to say my my guess is they, these ratings are going to be really in in the toilet for for these Olympics. And it's a shame because I am like the biggest Olympics fan ever. Yeah, you know, like ask me about Olympic trivia. I can tell you, you know, about the sixty eight games. Uh, it breaks my heart, but you as an athlete, you know, it's What place so, did I get, Jill? <laughs> um, did you get, you were the highest U.S. finisher. <laughs> you was know the it, best thing about that stat? I was the only U.S. finisher. <laughs> oh, I didn't, that I didn't know. Was it, is either 16th or 27th? Wait, did I get that 18th. right? 18th. You were 18th. I was very close. <laughs> I've done my homework. I've done my homework. Pretty good. Yeah, thanks. You're listening to The Bounce, Sports Talk with a Spin. I'm Jill Yesko. After the break, we'll hear more about why some athletes are turning their backs on the Olympics. More in a moment. Carrie, let me ask you, I think you're you're such a rare bird, and I say this in a, in a very, very good way, in that so many athletes are reluctant to to speak out about the olympics i mean the the line that we're fed is that you know you're on a wheaties box or you know you you come home and you're on a pedestal or just you know that no one could ever say anything bad about the olympics and i'm sure you've taken flack for this over the years can you uh can you tell me i have have you yeah that that wheaties box deal just went away (laughs) were you on a wheaties box Oh, no, of course not. Uh, they don't put 18th on a Wheaties box. But look, I i mean, there's so much to say. And, I, and I'm learning with every Olympic sort of um, cycle that comes around. I mean, it's amazing what it still stirs up in my world and, and in myself personally, but also in my circle of, uh, look, I don't talk to many of my teammates anymore, certainly not on a regular basis, but when the Olympics come around, everybody sort of comes out of the woodwork. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of 50 year olds out there that are still incredibly tortured by this entire experience. You know, I mean, everyone from people who are still shouting about being wronged and not having made it to people. I literally had someone who even won a medal. This was a couple of weeks ago, crying to me that they had nothing to show for all everything they put in to their to their sport, and they wish they'd never done it. And I'm standing there going, "Really? Because you got a lot more to show than I do. I was there with you every day in training, and I didn't walk away with the medal. So you know, it's just there's so many different experiences that athletes have. These are very we are very intense people to have chosen this path, to have stuck with this path. And that intensity doesn't, um, doesn't disappear, you know, and it's, uh, it's something that you very publicly put all of yourself into. And it's really, in some ways, incredibly uh, embarrassing, shameful, uh, also happy. I mean, it's, it's really confusing how, how to sort of get yourself to come to terms with it all and, and move on. I mean, everybody's there because they think they can be the best in the world. And how many people leave saying they were right? Uh, not a couple. So let's, let's backtrack a little bit. You know, I, 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 we do know each other personally, and I will attest to the fact that you're a pretty intense person 
And tell me a little bit about your your training. I know you uh, you began skiing at a really young age and went to boarding school, right? When yeah. You got from like what from what age did you start skiing, and when did you become aware of the fact that you you had talent and wanted um, to go yeah, to the Olympics? I can say it's also, um, as I now have a 10 and 13 year old, I mean, it's particularly odd for me to watch, um, and remember my path because I, I started skiing when I was two and, you know, uh, we skied every weekend and I had fun. It was just what my family did. Um, I probably started racing around seven or eight and, uh, and always did well. You know, I just always, always did well. And it's funny, my kid even asked me the other day, like after one of their races, did, did you just win all of these when you were my age? And I was like, yeah, pretty much. Like I just did. You know? <laughs> and, um, and I think honestly, that's probably more what kept me going than anyone, any, anything else was just the success, right? Um, nine-year-old girl winning race feels good. You want to do more of it. Right. Um, and, but then by 11, I already was like, Hey, I'm, I want to go to this ski school. I felt like kids were, these kids were skiing five days a week. I was only skiing on the weekends. I could see that that was going to give them a huge advantage. I wanted to do that. Um, so I left home, I mean, for the winters when I was 12, seventh grade. And I went to this tiny little school with nothing but skiers. Uh, there were 75 of us. And we skied every day, went to school every afternoon. Um, and I did that all through, all through high school. Yeah. So it was not only, I was not only intense um, personally, but I was in this completely in tiny and intense environment full of people who only wanted to do the same thing I wanted to do. Right. And so everything gets skewed, your relationships, your friendships, how you're learning to have, to be a person in the world is very odd when this is the sort of um, environment you're in, right? Because the, the, the sort of social capital is whether you're fast or not, not whether you're cool, not whether you're, you know, uh, have cool jeans or whatever it is. And in like a normal regular high school, it's more like, are you fast? If you're fast, you're cool. That's it. You know, so that was weird, I would say. And that really creates some very odd human beings. <laughs> I mean, it both self-selects and then sort of enables us all to be really weird and, um, and to feel like that is who, that is our identity. I mean, from the time, anytime I was with my family meeting other people, oh, you're the skier. Oh, you're the skier. Right. I mean, they still say that to me. Uh, I'd like to be something else someday soon, <laughs> you know? Um, but all those things, I mean, you read like Nathan Chen's talking about how important it was for him to go back to sort of exit his little world of figure skating and be more than just a figure skater. Right. And he came back with a, with a, just a feeling that this wasn't the only thing he was. Well, I think that's great. I mean, I think that's great. I didn't have that opportunity. No, it's, Athlete mental health has been much more in the news, probably thanks to Michael Phelps coming forward. But I know you have talked in the past about uh, your own struggles and you've seen it among other athletes. And I think this is such an underreported story and it's definitely not a feel good story. 
it seems like if you want to be an elite athlete, it's almost part and parcel that you are going to have an extremely skewed, narrow life in a in a bubble, and that in itself is a, a precursor for a whole whole host of problems. Um, yeah, I mean, I I'm still trying to figure out, you know, sort of like I said, I think. It, athletes are intense people. I think, I don't think it's necessary. I think it, it's hard to say which comes first, right? The chicken or the egg. I think when I think back to a lot of the people that ski raced with me when I was younger and sort of how they peeled off, you know, at different points of our careers, right. And were, were they just more well-balanced than I was, you know, mentally, were they, were they people who were willing, able to have other interests? Were they weak? Like the, the hardest part is like this, this sort of idea that we were all brought up with, 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 with this like mental toughness is about suffering, is about pain, is about, you know, sort of a minuscule focus is about dedication and all that crap that we all bought into, but really it's pretty, it's, it's incredibly damaging and it's, and it's not a healthy way to live uh, in the world. And I think we're seeing, I hope we're seeing, um, a shift in the ideas behind sort of what makes a champion and that there can be many things and many different kinds of champions and many different kinds of approaches. Not every champion has to be, have a smile from ear to ear, you know, and, and an extrovert. It's so look at like Naomi Osaka, right? I mean, what if you just don't like talking to people and your game face is just, you know, or you need to get ready and you need to compete as an introvert. Does that make you a, you know, an affront to the entire media and sporting industry? It shouldn't, you know, she's after a win, right? Everyone out there is after a win. They're entitled to go after it however they need to. Carrie, from an athlete's point of view, uh, I don't mean to put you on the spot and have you speak for all Olympians or Oh, I love Olympian. to do that. Okay, then, then go ahead and do this. <laughs> and please, <laughs> the mic is all yours. <laughs> from an athlete's point of view, what, ha- what would have to happen to reform the, Olymp- the Olympics to make it more athlete-centric rather than sponsor-centric? I, God, I wish I knew. I wish I knew enough about the non-athlete side of the games to sort of give a well-informed opinion of that. I, I, and well-researched, I just, I mean, look, I think there has to be a similar attitude and a similar desire on the part of the organizers as there is on the part of the athletes. I think they're honestly at odds with each other. And I think not unlike many other sporting governing bodies, right? I think the, you look at the NFL, I find, I find that the NFL feels very exploitative to me, um, that, that there's men up in the front office and those, you know, those players are their employees, right? Um, I think there has to be a more um, common goal between the organizers and the athletes. And that is for, and have to agree on what that is. Of course, athletes would like to make some money, but I do think it's a much healthier environment in other countries where the government actually helps support monetarily a lot of the athletes, right? So that right there takes a little of the pressure off. Um, I think the idea of, you know, this whole narrative that's been sort of constructed of sacrificing everything to become a champion, I mean, I think is, is it doesn't, 
we all could do a lot better if it wasn't that. Um, and if kids could, well, I mean, my sport and a lot of the sports, you can't go to college. Like we should learn to use college as a, as a pipeline and a development, um, situation for a lot of the athletes. Whereas we couldn't, we had to go straight to Europe and compete the whole time. Um, there's, there's no collegiate skiing or there, it isn't at the there level. There is, there oh. absolutely is. But the problem is that the, that the U S ski team wasn't willing to recognize collegiate skiers as uh, committed enough. They weren't, they were literally ignoring mm -hmm. all of these athletes once they, once they went to college, it's been a, it's within the sport of skiing. It's been a, a, a very hot topic for many years because it's such a waste. It's a waste of athletes who are totally able to develop at 22 still 23, but the ski team always took the view that unless you were, had made the ski team by high school, by 17 or 18, you were uh, put out to pasture basically. Um, and that is starting to change. Um, and that needs to change, but I mean, I would love to see the Olympics as a movement, um, incorporate the idea of, Hey, we're not just here to make um, a wonderful sporting experience. We're here to help whatever area this is, whatever the host, the host place is, we're here to actually really work with you. And let's like, let's make the entire experience a good one for everyone. And I just don't, I don't see that attitude at all. I mean, I don't know if we ever talked about it, but for, for a little while, I used to think about what if the Olympics came to Detroit, you know, like really a struggling place, uh, that was looking for some economic revival and what if it could really be that for a place, you know, um, that would be kind of amazing. On a lighter note, what are some of the things that people like really don't know about the Olympics? Like I know uh, you may, I know you said you don't want to talk about it, but I'm going to force you to, <laughs> you said that there's a, actually a lot of sex going on at the Olympic village. <sighs> Look, the Olympics, here's what people don't know. The Olympics are really, really fun. <laughs> I mean, they are full of pressure and, you know, um, performance issues and all kinds of things like that. But they're also hopefully, at least they were for me and hopefully for a lot of others, they're really fun. It's like you're at a two week long wedding, you know, um, <laughs> just uh, it's um, once everyone or finals week, right? Once everyone takes their exam and they're done, like it's time to party. It's fun. It can be. I don't think it is at these particular games just um because of COVID and because of all kinds of restrictions, I'm guessing that everyone's pretty locked up. But um, I mean, you do all those, all those other stories are true. If you spend the time in the village, I mean, a lot of athletes don't ever even go to the village, right? They like get their sort of private housing. They're focused on their event. They do it and they, and then they get out of there because a lot of them still have a season left, right? Like they still have, their world cup season left. But, um, for those who do take, uh, give themselves a little time, you know, there's so much fun to be had and meeting all these other athletes. And, and, um, I, uh, here's a good example. I was just telling somebody this the other day, the Olympics, I was at Tommy Mo won the gold medal. We, you know, in the downhill, like the first night of the games and he came back to the village and we were just jumping all over him, hooting and hollering, you know, high-fiving, celebrating. It was rowdy in this room. We were having the best time because nobody thought, knew he was going to do that. And then it was a couple of days later, I was sitting in the, in the cafeteria and there was a table full of Norwegian uh, cross-country skiers. 
And obviously that's like their biggest sport and, you know, sort of the biggest heroes. And in comes uh, Bjorn Dolly, who I didn't know, but would go on to win like 50 gold medals at that games. I mean, in his lifetime, he's like one of the best ever, but he had just won that day and he walks into the, to the um, cafeteria and the whole table of Norwegians just sort of, they just sit up straight and they just go. Nobody made a noise. It was just so <laughs> different and so charming and so Norwegian, you know, and made me feel so silly for having been so crazy rowdy about Tommy, but it was just great. And that was how they did it, you know, and there are moments like that all over the place that you just cherish because I, when else do you get to do or see things like that? It really was, those kinds of things are memorable and worthy and, and valuable just I don't know what you kind of hope they'll be. But Carrie, are you going to watch the Summer Olympics? I will always watch the Olympics because I love watching the athletes and I'll just watch them uh, with the sound off because I can't really uh, stand listening to the commentary anymore. Or I'll have some teammates, old teammates over and we'll watch and we'll gab and uh, our commentary will be uh, hilarious and much more fun. Carrie Scheinberg, thank you so much for being on The Bounce. You are amazing, and you will always be my favorite Olympian. No, thanks, Jill. I loved it. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Bounce, sports talk with a spin. The Bounce is hosted and produced by me, Jill Yesko. The podcast is distributed by your public studios. New episodes of The Bounce will be released the third Thursday of the month. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. Learn more about The Bounce at wypr.org.